me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts chapter 17. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have the privilege of opening the Bible. We know that the Bible is your word. You've given it to us. It is a gracious provision. Thank you. Help us as we worship you while considering your word that you would illuminate our minds by your spirit. Encourage our hearts. Direct our steps in Jesus' name. Amen. So you, you have to tell me where this scene comes from as I try my best to unfold it. Some of you might be too young for this, so we'll see. I want a feast. You ate before you came to the factory. I want a bean feast. Oh, one of those. Cream buns and donuts and fruit cake with no nuts. So good you could go nuts. Oh, you can have all of those when you get home. No, now I want a ball. I, I want a party. Pink macaroon, macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons. And give it to me now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it up all in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. Anyone? No? Please tell me that I'm not the only one that... All right. So some of you know it. <laughs> I was sweating that one out. That scene is incredibly irritating for me. Maybe you love it. Um, I find it to be incredibly irritating. It makes us cringe. But it does tell us a bit about our nature, doesn't it? That's kind of like on full display, kind of in hyperbole in that particular scene. But really, that goes on in our hearts, uh, unfortunately, regularly. I want it now. We tend to be impatient. It shows us the natural bent in our hearts that we want to satisfy our cravings instantly. Our lives, day after day, week after week and month after month, they just go on and on. Time continues so consistently that there are thoughts from some that God is not involved at all. You know that that's a thought because even in the contents of Scripture, Peter writes to a group of believers in 2 Peter, and he says this, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Shocker, scoffers come with scoffing. Kind of makes sense. Here they, they come in the last days and they're scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. There's this idea as things continue without interruption that God is either not existent or detached and uninvolved. Well, this morning I want for us in our consideration of uh, the scriptures and in our consideration of the Christmas season and what we're doing to celebrate that, I want for us to recognize that God is not detached and he is not uninvolved. In fact, he is utterly involved, incredibly involved, intimately involved individually, with us, and on a bigger picture with the entire world. 
We're in Acts chapter 17. I want for us to start reading in verse 22. We're going to cut right into the context. Paul is at Athens. Uh, as he's there, he's looking around and he sees a people given over to all manner of religious endeavors. One of the items that stood out to him the most was an altar. This is one of those things where I want to make sure I cover all my bases. So the people of Athens had covered all their bases by having this shrine and this shrine and this temple and then this altar to the unknown God. So just in case we missed one. We want to make sure we cover them too. And Paul, Paul seizes that opportunity. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 22 of Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What an interesting passage. I think the first question we want to ask of this text, and it answers for us, is who has appointed the time and location of our lives? Who has appointed the time and location of our lives? Look at verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God determined when and where you would be born. Is he intimately involved in your life? He certainly is. We could tie it even further and go deeper into this in Psalm 139. He knew us while we were in our embryonic stage. He knew us while our structure was being formed in our mother's womb. And before there was even one day, he knew how many days we would live. It's, it's, it's pretty intense. 
God has got all this worked out. What does he command of all people? Does this text answer that question? Yes, it does. Verse 30. Verse 30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to do what? Repent. Turn from our own way. Turn from our shrine to an uh, unknown God or to this known uh, system of, of, of religion that, that we've, we've known and embraced. Turn away from those things that we should not have confidence and faith in and turn toward him, recognizing that he is our salvation. He commands all men everywhere to repent. So there's the, the command for all people. What has he fixed a time for? Look at verse 31. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. He has fixed a day. He has determined a time, a day, when he will judge the world. It's very interesting as you, as you look through the scriptures, and, and certainly we're not going to dive in terribly deep into this concept this morning. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see that God has time in his own hands. God has time in his own hands. In the book of Daniel, there is a statement concerning a character. Uh, sometimes this character is referred to as the Antichrist, and he will attempt to change times and seasons. The reality is, folks, that God is the only one who has time and seasons in his own authority. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. This will be on the screen behind me. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. God has completely, he, he has history completely in his grasp. The saints of the First Testament were anticipating, they were anticipating the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They, they, they're anticipating something. They haven't quite attained unto it by the time of their death. They were trusting God, but they hadn't attained what, what they were waiting for. The Bible tells us something more about this in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There's more to the text there. We're not going to read it. Uh, it's, it's there for your own uh, edification. What, what is being said in these texts? The Old Testament saints were waiting. They were waiting for something. They wanted that something, the fulfillment of God's promises, to come. Did they want it a thousand years after their death? Did they want it 500 years after their death? Did they want it the month after their death? No, they wanted it now. Why? There's something great coming. There's something great coming. Well, that is the concept that we want to consider. Take a look at our text this morning is Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. God has time... In his own grasp, the Old Testament saints were anticipating. They were waiting. They were waiting for the one who truly is 
the theme of heaven's praises. Here in Galatians chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 1, but our text this morning is just verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, when just the right time had come, when God had determined for this time to come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons when the fullness of time had come. Why did God choose that particular generation to send the fulfillment of the promises? Why then? Well, many thoughts have been proposed, and they're good thoughts. The Pax Romana, that's the time of peace. It was defined as a state of comparative tranquility throughout the Mediterranean world from the reign of Augustus to Marcus Aurelius. So the Pax Romana, because there was peace, it'd be easier for the, the communication and spread of the gospel. That makes sense. The roads that the Romans had, had constructed made for travel to be more uh, easily accessible. And so the gospel would, would propel from one region to the next because of the road system that was provided by the Roman government. That's, that's good. This is a good reason. And then uh, the, the Koine Greek, Greek language was the, the language of the common man. And so it made for a more accessible communication of the gospel from one people group to the next. So these are all good reasons. They're fine reasons. But one thing is sure. The reason it came, that Jesus came, when he came, was because God decided that's when to send him. It really isn't really, there's not much more mystery about it than that. When we come to know and trust who God is from what he's recorded and from how he's dealt with us, we stop trying to find reasons for everything that God does. God chose some 2,000 years ago, right in the, the thick of human history, to send Jesus. And Jesus did come because God chose to send him then. God sent forth his son. The Gospel of John five times quotes Jesus, letting the people that were following him know that God had sent him. Then in the first letter to, uh, of John, as he wrote to the, the, the Christians, probably in the region of Ephesus, three more times and one short section the Bible tells us that God sent forth his son. Here's, this is the concept here in Galatians 4. At just the right time, when, when God decided this is the, the fullness of time, the time where all this, these uh, promises would come to full bearing, God sent forth his son. What was he going to do? Well, let's take a look at a couple of passages, one in John and one in 1 John, to see this concept of God sending his son. John chapter 3, a very familiar text of scripture. I used to see these 
at football games and basketball games, at wrestling matches, people would have their postcards. John 3.16, get people putting it on their eye black and all of this good stuff. John 3.16, it's good. It's the, it's the scriptures. It's God's word. It's the gospel. In John 3 and verse 16 and 17, we want to see what this text tells us about God sending his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the, the beloved son. His, his uniquely sent forth son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Wait a second. Wait one second. Acts 17 says that he has fixed a time. And the one spoken of in John 3.16 is the judge. He tells us that we know that he's the one because he raised him from the dead. So we know we're talking about Jesus. But it says here, God didn't send forth his son into the world to condemn the world. But wait a second. Acts 17 says something different. This is important information, folks. The one who is our judge also issued forth from the Father first as our Savior. It says he did not come into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So this offer is God sending his son to redeem us so that when he comes back as judge, he embraces us rather than issues judgment on us. What an incredible picture. Take a look now at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. So Jesus came into the world at the, at the right time. He came not as king, not as judge. He came as a baby. We have the genealogies in Matthew 1 and Luke as well. We have statements in the book of Luke about how Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He, he experienced life much as we do. Jesus was sent at the right time, but he had a mission. Jesus was sent on mission. Here in 1 John chapter 4, take a look beginning in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how you know God loves you. Isn't that another way to say that? Isn't that another way to say that? In this... The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We might have life through him. In the fullness of time, God said, I love you. He sent forth his son. Yes, born of a woman. Yes, born under the law. Yes, we know this. People, people unknowingly celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. What are we celebrating? He came more than just to come as a sweet, innocent baby. He came more 
than to have gold, myrrh, and frankincense brought to him. He came to redeem those who were under the law. Listen again to, for, to beyond in this, in this statement in 1 John chapter 4. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. He loved us and sent his son. Sending his son is God saying, I love you. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God says, I love you. And he sent out his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The term propitiation is a settlement, a full satisfaction of God's wrath against my sin. This is why Paul can write, inspired by the Spirit, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus bore the wrath of God for my sin. How? Because God loved me and sent his Savior, his Son, for me to be the propitiation for my sin. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus came on mission. The mission what was it to rescue sinners like you and me? Back in Galatians 4, it says, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. What does this mean? In the process of sending his son, God removed the crushing Lordship of commandments. The law, as we have discussed time and again, never lets up in its demands. It never says, okay now, you've done enough. The law holds you and I accountable for every misdeed. The law shows no Mercy. In the sending of Jesus Christ, God has removed the lordship of this unmerciful master. Think about this. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, God said, I love you. He sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Truly, according to the book of Colossians, he was canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, listen carefully, nailing it to the cross. You and I, as well as all those before us, and anyone that comes after us, we have accumulated a long Large, 
list of violations. Transgressions, sinfulness. Through the payment of Jesus Christ, these offenses were wiped away. Along with the lordship of the law, which was keeping an account of our failures. Merry Christmas. You'll never, you'll never have a better offer of a gift than that. So redemption is the process whereby a person previously enslaved is set free. Redemption, though, comes at a cost. The debt of that enslaved person must be paid. The owner must be satisfied. The record of our debt was canceled. Jesus became sin for us. Jesus, the sin atoning sacrifice, was nailed to the cross. Along with the record of my debt, he became my sin and the ransom payment for my sin. In other words, and importantly to understand, God does not simply dismiss our sinfulness. God does not indiscriminately, unthinkingly release us. One of the truths the Bible describes again and again relates to the justice of God. Sin, which is transgression of the law, must be accounted for. Animal sacrifice never fully removed the sinfulness of man. Self-sacrifice never removes the sinfulness of man. You and I cannot perform enough good deeds to meet the righteous requirements of the law. To meet the demands of the law, God sent forth his son. His son, Jesus Christ, perfectly met every demand that the law ever issued. And as the Lamb of God, he willingly laid down his life as a sin-removing sacrifice. Merry Christmas. The perfect Son of God was nailed to the cross as a payment to remove us from under the bondage of the law. Instead of having the law, listen carefully, instead of having the law as our master, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior have God as their Father. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. So what God has done effectively when he said, I love you by sending his son who, who perfectly fulfilled every demand of the law and then placed himself as a self 
giving, willing sacrifice to bear our sin, became sin for us, was crucified on the cross, received the wrath of God against my sin, became, became the propitiation for my sin. Not only did God wipe out the record of our debt, he adopted us into our family, into his family. He took us from being mastered by an unmerciful, lawful, stubborn, unyielding record and gave us himself as father. Are you a believer? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? If, if yes, what have you learned about God as your father? Sometimes I hear people speaking and, and, and I think they, they mean really well. And I don't, I don't judge people for their statements. I just, I, I want to help people along. I hear people think of God as the one that, like, every time we do the wrong thing, he's ready to beat us over the head with a two-by-four. Oh, he took me to the woodshed for that one. Oh, is, 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 that, what, is that what your father does? He, every time you mess up, he just beats you up? What, what have you found out about your father? Every time I wander over there, he seems to be waiting. And when I start taking the steps back, he runs and embraces me. Yeah, think about this. What have you learned about this father? That the law never does that. The law always calls you to task. The law always demands, and it never says, add a boy. It never says, okay, you're all set now. Or, I'll look past that one. Your father, on the other hand, has made a payment so that instead of him having to say, well, I'm going to hold you accountable for this, or I'm just going to simply overlook it, neither of those things are true. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God said, I love you. He sent you his son. His son lived perfectly, laid his life down, and provides for you and I real, unending life. That's what verse 9 in 1 John, you're still there, says. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, because of him, by him. God has sent his son to make you a son. He did it at just the right time. How does one become a son? Well, John answers that question for us as well. In John 1.12, the Bible says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who has the right to become children of God? All who believe Christ alone. What, what do we do? How, how do I become a son? Believe Christ. What about him? Perfect. He fulfilled the law in your stead, in your place. Instead of you fulfilling the law, he fulfilled the law. Instead of you receiving the just rewards for your sin, he received the just rewards for your sin. When he died on the cross, he became a wrath-canceling sacrifice. Believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection 
is God's gift to you to say, I want to welcome you into my family and make you my son. You'll forever live with me and you'll have access to everything that is mine because you are an heir of God. God sent his son to make you a son. We can become a son by trusting Christ. When is the right time for you to become a son? Well, listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6. Behold, now is the favorable, other versions, acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, yesterday already happened. You can't go back and relive it. Tomorrow, you can't do anything about tomorrow. You can make preparations for tomorrow. You can't do anything about tomorrow. And, folks, tomorrow might be too late. Remember the, the parable Jesus said? Oh, I'm going to build these barns, and I'm going I'm to uh, be able to hold more stuff. Everything's going to be great. I've got all these great plans. You've got it all outlined. Maybe you have the, 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 the prints drawn up. You're ready to go. All of the, the materials are laid out. Tomorrow we're going to start this project. Jesus said, oh, how do you know? Tonight, your soul may be required of you. Tomorrow may be too late. Today, today. Trust Jesus alone for your salvation, for forgiveness of sin, and so that God will adopt you into his family. Believer, believer, do you believe I know you do, that God sent his son at just the right time. Who, who would question that? We know the Bible. You just said I sent him at the right time. Of course you believe that. All right, what, what do you think about God's timing concerning other matters in your life? I want it now. I want it right now. Sometimes that's the way we act. We look at the big picture and say, okay, God, you, you did this right in the middle of history, just at the right time. You sent your son. You, you placed me here at this time in this location for a reason. Okay, I understand all of this, but I really need this answer now to this thing I've been praying about. Give it to me now. Do you trust God for other matters in your life? Does he have that timing worked out as well? Well, we know in our brains, we read the Bible, say, yes, I know this. How does it flesh out in our lives? Sometimes we, we get weary of waiting. You realize that he has you in his mind. I just love the words of Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If I could count them, they're more than the sand of the sea. God's thinking about, come on. You, there are, what, is, it, is the current statistic 6.7 billion people on the planet Earth? Is that correct? Somewhere in that vicinity? Somewhere, in, it's not 7 billion yet. Somewhere around 6.7 billion people on Earth. God's thinking about you. And according to Psalm 139, he didn't just think about you like once. <laughs> the vast sum 
of God's thoughts toward you, one of 6.7 billion. There might be some other uh, people that have existed that are existing in heaven. How many is that number? I don't know. How about how many angels? How about some others that, that are existing, some, some demonic forces? God have any thoughts for them? And yet the amount of his thoughts for you amount to more than the sand of the sea? That's pretty intense, folks. God's thinking about you. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. It's really great. God's timing is just right. He always sends the right gift at the right time. He sends us grace in the nick of time. Today and and throughout the week and forevermore, I pray, we'll celebrate God's sovereign care. We'll celebrate God's grace. We'll celebrate the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, God at just the right time sent his son. His son came to rescue us from the debt of our sin and to make us God's adopted children. Will you trust him? Let's ask it a little bit more specifically. Do you trust him? Is he worthy of that trust? I submit to you he is infinitely worthy of trust. So, with that being said, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to trust him today and tomorrow and the next day. One day our faith will become sight and we'll be, have no more need to trust. We'll just experience him forever. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, maybe this is bizarre to you. Maybe you think this is foolhardy. I can assure you it is not. And one of the ways that God testifies to this is the rest of Galatians 4 verse 7. God, or verse 6, sorry. God confirms his redemption of our lives by issuing his spirit into our heart. And through that spirit we cry out Abba. Father. You can have that experience too if you will cry out and ask God to save you by his son. He will forever remove the debt of your sin and give you life and liberty forever. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen.